Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. And welcome to all of you who are joining us for our live stream service this morning. My name is Matt, and I'm the adult pastor here. And it's just great to be back in fellowship with each and every one of you in this room and for all of those of you joining us online this morning as we're continuing in our series called Next Steps. And before we really get into it this morning, I want us to take a look at a passage from Psalm 92. Because as we're talking about the next steps that God wants us to take in our life, I think it's really important that we recognize that if we're truly called to flourish, it all begins by us being in the right environment. Take a look at this. Psalm 92 verse 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Do you hear that? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of God. In other words, what it's saying is that if you really want to flourish, if you really want to grow in your life, it all starts by being planted in the right environment. And I think when a lot of us look around at the world around us right now, the circumstances we find ourselves in, there's a lot of wrong environments out there. And maybe some of us are caught in the middle of some of these wrong environments, and that's why we feel stuck. That's why we feel like we're not going anywhere. But God says, if you truly want to flourish, if you want to take that next step, you got to start by being planted in the right environment so that way you can be released to your full potential. It makes me think of Death Valley. Uh, for those of you in this room, you know what Death Valley is, but maybe those of you joining us online, you don't know. But in California, there's this place called Death Valley, and it's the most dry, the hottest place in all of California, and it rarely ever rains. And so because of that, nothing ever really grows, which is why it's called Death Valley. Well, in the winter, I'm sorry, in the winter of 2004, something significant happened. Meteorologists can't really explain it, but seven inches of rain fell in Death Valley in a very short period of time. And nothing immediately happened as a result of it, but in the spring of 2005, a phenomena happened. It was called a super bloom, where Death Valley turned into this luscious valley full of colorful flowers of all different shapes and sizes as far as the eye could see. And what scientists discovered and what they found out is Death Valley wasn't really dead. It was just dormant. That there were these seeds that existed underneath the hardened topsoil that were just waiting for the right environment. They were waiting for the right potential to grow into something beautiful and break through that hardened topped layer. Hopefully you can see where I'm going with this this morning. That a lot of us in our lives, we've got these hardened top layers that we find are pressing us down. But once we get ourselves into the right environment, we can be released to our full potential because we weren't meant to be dead. We weren't meant to be dormant. God says, I've called you to flourish. And that's what he wants for our lives. And so what I hope to do this morning is to help you realize that we all are on this spiritual journey with God, this spiritual continuum, a timeline, if you will. We're all at different places depending on where we are in our walk with God. But simply what I want us to do is to identify where we really are on this timeline. So that way we can know what the next step we need to take in order to flourish is. Do we just want to stay dormant or do we really want to blossom into something greater? What does that truly look like? And so that's what we're going to unpack this morning is really taking a look at what are those next steps. First, identify where we are and then go the next step and say, what do I need to do to get me to the next place? So I can be this beautiful, amazing creation that God has called me to be. You know, in Psalm 16, it goes on to say this, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In other words, what it's saying here is that when we see the path 
and the journey that's been laid out before us, that's when we start to experience the real joy. When we start to experience the pleasures and the blessings that God has called us to, the purpose in which he has created us for. Because I think every single one of us knows that there is a purpose for our life. Problem is, we don't know what it is or we have a hard time trying to find it. We start looking for it in all these different things of the world. But when we really start to study scripture, when you start to get into God's word and take a look at it, you'll find real quickly that God has always wanted the same things for his people. In fact, we can narrow it down to four real basic things that God has always wanted from his people. As I start to study, if you look between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, there's over 16 different instances where these four things are mentioned. In fact, they may be said a little bit differently, but the gist behind them is the same. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of those examples. We're going to break it apart and really take a look and see what is it that God is calling us to? What are those next steps? What is it that God wants for my life? And how can I really learn and grow from these things? The example we're going to look at comes from Ephesians. It's written by Paul. And Kim mentioned it a little bit earlier, but Paul was a church planter, right? He was out planting churches in the entire known world at this time. He had a heart for people. He wanted to see people grow. He wanted to see people released into their full potential. And so he writes in such a way where he's saying, I just want you to know what God has in store for you. Look at this in Ephesians chapter one, verse 16 to 17. It says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul's saying, man, I just wish you could understand this. I just wish that you could know that you could grab hold of the wisdom and the revelation of what God wants for your life. That's my desire. You know what, folks? That's my desire as a pastor as well, that you not only would know what environment you need to be planted in, but that the eyes of your heart, that you would be filled with wisdom and revelation to see that God has called you for something more. God has called you for something greater. And he tells us what it is in his scripture. He tells us what it is through his word if we really start to look at it. So what is it? What is it that God wants us to know? What are these practical steps? Look at this. The first thing we see is this. He says, so that you may know him better. That you may know him better. Now I'm a little bit surprised that none of you just fell out of your chairs and those of you who are online just signed off and like, man, that's so offensive. I don't want anything to do with this church anymore. Some of you are sitting there scratching your head. And I think the reason why is because we don't understand what this really means. Because the English translation of the Greek word here has it wrong. The word know that Paul uses here in the Greek is this word gnosko. And it means to know in an intimate and a personal way. And this was something that was offensive to the people in Paul's time because this whole God thing, it was just a religion. It was a tradition. It was something you did. But the word that Paul uses here for know is the same word that's used for when a man knows his wife and they have children. It's a very intimate, it's a very personal word. And people in this time would have been, that is so offensive. How are we even supposed to know God like that? But that's what Paul is calling us to. That's what God wants for us. That's the first step that we need to take. If we want to be in the right environment, if we want to flourish, it begins by knowing God in a real and an intimate way. But you see, I think a lot of us, this is where we get hung up because we know of God, but we don't know God in this manner. Yeah, we read our Bibles. We go to church. That's great. We say, yeah, I, I know God. 
but do you have a living, breathing, real, daily walk with the living, breathing, and alive Jesus Christ, the Lord, your Savior, someone that you can cry to, that you can confess to, that you can talk to, you can laugh with, that you invite to be a regular part of your everyday life? Or do we just call upon him when we need him like he's some magic genie? See, this is what Paul is saying. So many of us, we go through this life feeling hurt and pain because we don't really know God. On the surface we do, but there's no intimate, personal relationship with God. And so if you really wanna flourish, that's where it begins. That's what God wants for you, that you would know him better, not just surface level, not just a placebo effect, but in a real intimate and relational way. And once you do that, you can move on to the second step, which Paul tells us is this, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Literally, he's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be focused and be made clear. Now, when I first read this, I thought, you know, Paul, it's, it's been a little while since I've taken anatomy, but I'm pretty sure the eyes aren't in my heart. <laughs> They're in my head. But as I started to think about it, it really started to make sense to me that maybe we've got this backwards. Maybe we've got it all wrong because so many of us, we go through our lives looking through these eyes rather than these eyes. And when we choose to look at our life through the eyes in our head, you know what we see? A lens that's covered by our past, by our hurt, by our failures, by betrayal, by bad days, by bad circumstances, the bad things that happen in our life. And when we choose to look at our life through those lens, it's gonna cause you to respond a certain way, to lash out a certain way, to write a certain thing, to say something to someone that maybe you don't mean because you're in your head, you're in the world rather than being in God. And that's why Paul says the second step to flourish isn't just to know God, but once you know God, to be filled with him. To where everything that you do, everything that you say, your entire life is looking through the lens of what Jesus has done for you the healing, the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace that he so freely gives to every single one of us. Because if we choose to look at the world through the eyes of our heart, man, it changes our perspective. It allows us not to focus on these temporary things that just fade away, but allows us to focus on the eternal things that God wants for us. The great things that he has called us to, to really flourish and grow and take that next step in our life. And then Paul goes on to say, so that. So that means we can't even get to the third step until we've accomplished the first two. But he says, so that, look at this third, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. See, part of our spiritual journey is to recognize that we were created on purpose, for a purpose that we can't achieve until we accomplish these first two. God is saying, I have something great in store for your future. I have something amazing set in place for you, but you're never gonna see it if you keep focusing on your yesterdays, on your past. If you keep looking through life, through this lens, this smudge, this smeared dirt of your failures of your past, you're never gonna be able to really grab a hold of what it is that I have called you to. And notice this word hope and this word called, they're connected words because we're not gonna find hope circumstantially. We're not gonna find hope in things of this world like money or resources or status or fame or wealth or relationships or marriage. No, that's not where it's found. Our hope is found in knowing Jesus Christ. Our hope is found in having a relationship 
with him, growing with him, walking with him every single day, everything that we do. If we want to find hope, it starts by knowing God and then focusing on God and then moving towards what he has called us to. And once we do that, it allows us to get to the fourth thing. Fourth, he says this, so that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Notice the phrase, in his holy people. This means God never intended you to go through this alone. He wanted you to be in a community, in a fellowship with a group of people that you are all seeking together, striving to find your purpose in this life. And what is that purpose? Well, it's to grab a hold of the glorious inheritance. What is that inheritance? Well, Psalms 2 tells us your inheritance is the nations. Friends, you have been called to be the church in this world. You've been called to step up, to step out, to make a difference, to be the church in your communities, in your surroundings, in your work environments. And I think if COVID has taught us anything as Christians, it's this, that we have had for so long, maybe the wrong idea of church. We've gotten into this routine of just coming into a building sitting down, listening to a message and then going back out and saying, yeah, I did my Christian duty for the day. But it's so much more than that. When we truly look at it, God says, you don't need a building. You don't need that pastor up front because guess what? You are the church. You are the church. Go and make more and better disciples. You don't need to be in a building in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it helps. It's great. I don't want to downplay that. It's fantastic that we're here in community this morning, but this shouldn't be the extent of our idea of what church is. He says, go be part of that inheritance. Take the word of God to the entire world and watch what it does. It's truly going to start to make a difference in people's lives when you grab a hold of it, when you go after it. You know, I truly believe that deep down inside of each and every one of us, God has placed a desire, whether believer, non-believer, Christian, non-Christian, save or lost, the desire to make a difference in this life. Somewhere inside of you, there's this desire that says, man, what really makes me happy, what really fulfills me is knowing I did something with my life. Maybe to somebody else, maybe to my workplace, whatever it may be, but knowing I made a difference. In fact, secular sociologists, they've done all kinds of research on this. And they've actually determined that there's one human need above everything else that really makes us feel fulfilled in this life. That when we lay our head down at night and go to sleep, that we can just breathe a sigh of relief and say, I did good today. You know what it is? That we've made a difference. That you know that you did something positive that day. And for a long time, these sociologists, they thought it was in things like winning and money and fame and status and position, all these other things. But no, they said that there's something greater. So much so they came up with a word for it. This word is transcendence. And transcendence is that deep inside you are called to make a difference. This is a universal truth for all people, all human beings on this earth. Everybody, regardless of where they are in their faith or their walk with God, has a desire to make a difference has a desire to truly do something with their life. But you can't do that unless you truly start to know the hope in which you've been called. You won't know the hope in which you've been called until the eyes of your heart are focused. You, have, you won't have the eyes of your heart focused if you don't know God. Do you see how all these stack upon each other? How each one of these steps leads to the next one? 
So what I want to do with the remainder of our time this morning is simply to go back through these four again. And my goal is to really help you to see where you are on this timeline that God has for you. I'm going to put a timeline up here on the screen because I think it's so important. These are the four steps that God has called you to. Know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, make a difference. And what we want to do this morning is simply to look at this timeline and identify this is where I am at this morning. That yeah, I am at the know God part or I am at the find freedom part because once we truly start to grab a hold of that and accept that and live that as a reality, it allows us to see what the next step we need to take is. That if we really want to make a difference, if we really want to flourish, what we need to do in order to get there. And it all begins by knowing God. And I'm not talking about this surface level, fake kind of knowledge, but a real intimate and deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is something that means a lot to me. You see, I grew up in the church. My parents did a great job making sure that I knew the importance of church. And so we would go to church every Sunday. I can't actually remember a Sunday that I didn't go to church because I didn't want to go to church. And I know that my experience may be different from a lot of you. Maybe some of you were dragged here this morning or, you know, were forced to watch it online, but that wasn't my experience. Growing up, I was always in the church. And I remember going to church, I would work my way through the junior high and the children's ministries. And then eventually I would sit with my parents in the main service and we would listen to the pastor or the preachers or the, the people, guest speakers speaking on stage. We would watch the videos, but I always felt that there was still something missing. There was still something that wasn't there. And I'll tell you what shaped my faith more than anything else. It wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the message. It wasn't the worship team. What it was is watching the other people in the room. Because when I looked out and I saw other people and I watched how they were surrendering their life to God, when I was watching the transformation that was taking place in their life, the freedom, the joy, the happiness that they exhibited through their body and what they were doing, I said to myself, man, that's what I want. Because obviously they know something I don't, because look how happy they are. I'm sitting here. I don't even want to be here, but I'm still here. But they're so happy. And by looking at them, that mentality is what really shaped my faith to say, man, that's what I want. I want to find fulfillment. And so when the altar call came and when they said, hey, if you really want to accept Jesus Christ and have this transformation of life yourself, you know, raise your hand or be baptized, I jumped at the chance. When I was really young, I think junior high or high school, I think it was junior high, I got baptized down at Corona Del Mar. And I was like, man, this is so great. I feel energized. I feel alive. God's moving through me. This is great. A week later, it was gone because the baptism high wore off. And I started thinking, maybe I did something wrong because I feel empty inside. And so I started going back and thinking, man, what is it that I really want? What is it that I'm looking for in this whole faith, this whole God, this whole Jesus thing? As I truly started to think about it, I made an observation that changed my life. And the observation was this, death is a reality. Every single one of us is gonna die. You can't escape it. And I know it's a reality because I've seen people in my family die. Now working as a pastor, I've been there and I've seen people in their final stages of life. I know that there is the reality of death but I also refuse to believe that the only thing that awaits me when I die is dirt and bugs in the ground. There has to be more to this life. There has to be more to this. And so as I started going into scripture and reading, I discovered there's this place called heaven. 
that's mentioned over and over and over again, a place of no pain, a place of no sorrow, a place of joy where we can live forevermore. And it's this beautiful picture. Man, that's what I want. That's the hope that I have that eventually one day that I can get there. So what do I have to do to get into heaven? Well, according to everything that I had heard leading up to my confession of faith, it was, you know, go out and say to everybody that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Believe in God and have this. I'm like, great, I did that, but I still feel empty. So I started looking through scriptures and I came across passages like this in Matthew chapter seven, where it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. This was a problem because this is how I had been taught my entire life that I would achieve heaven. That's what I had heard everywhere that I went, that that's how I would get to heaven by confessing God, you are God, you are great, amen, let's do this thing. But scripture said something different. And as I started to read and go a little bit further, it says they'll do a bunch of religious things. They'll cast out devils, they'll prophesy, they'll do miracles, and they still won't make it to heaven. Do you know why? Because Jesus says, I never knew you. God says, I never knew you. You know what's interesting? That word know, it's the same word that Paul uses in the Greek, gnosko. I never had an intimate, personal relationship with you. See, that presents a problem for a lot of us because I think that we just know of God, but we don't have this intimate, personal relationship. Folks, the bottom line, the point I'm trying to make is this. We shouldn't be looking for a religion. We should be looking for a relationship. We should be looking for a relationship. That's the first step. That's what it really means to know God, not just something that's a fad that everybody else is doing, but something that really has the power to change your life for the better. To have a working, living, breathing relationship with the working and living, breathing God. That's what he wants for you. And for some of you, maybe that's the first step that you need to take this morning. That if you really wanna flourish, if you really wanna grow, in this life, maybe it's time that you don't just know of God because even the demons and the devil know of God. But it's time to know God, to build your relationship with him, to get deeper into the word, to make him, invite him in to be a part of your everyday life, every living, breathing decision that you make. That's where it starts. And maybe some of you have done that. If so, great. Well, then it's time to take the next step. And the next step we see is to find freedom. Or as Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What I mean by that is to be able to move past whatever it is that's holding you back from doing all that God has called you to do, from blossoming into your full potential. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Every single one of you knows what that one thing is in your life, that sin, that habit, that addiction, that secret that you've only told God and nobody else that's holding you back. Well, I got some good news and some bad news for you this morning. The good news is there's a solution in how to find freedom. The bad news is how we do it. James chapter five does a great job of telling us how we do it. Look at this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you'll be healed. See, we go to God for forgiveness, but we can go to his people, his believers, his followers for healing. Think about how impactful that really is when we truly start to look at this, there is power in this, that when we surround ourselves with people who are also living out their purpose, working to make a difference in their lives and the world around them, that's when we truly begin to find healing. And that's what God wants for us. And folks, that's why being in a life group is so important. 
being connected with a group of people who can come alongside of you and give you accountability, give you support, give you prayer. It's foundational to your faith because that's where true healing exists. And you need to get into a life group where you can get together with this group of people and build these relationships with them and get comfortable enough to where one day you can say, man, I need to pull you aside real quick. Whether it be your facilitator or someone in the group that you like, say, hey, I need some help because this isn't the real me and I'm struggling and I need help. And I think so many of us, we say, man, I've prayed, I've asked God for forgiveness, but I'm still stuck in this addiction. I'm still stuck in this habit. I'm still stuck in this sin that's controlling my life. It's because we haven't confessed it. We haven't gone to God's people to get help with it. And I know that that's terrifying. I know that's hard to do. It's frightening to think about, but let me tell you what's gonna happen. When you pull that leader aside, that person aside, and you say, hey, I need some help. You're not gonna hear them say, wow, <laughs> goodbye. We won't see you in our group anymore. You're gonna hear them say, you too? <laughs> I thought I was the only one. Because you're gonna find that support. You're gonna find that accountability. You're gonna find prayer. And that's why it's so important that we get connected with God's people. Because life groups, they're not just another Bible study. You can go online and find Bible studies all you want. Life groups are a place you go to build relationships and to experience God's healing. That's what it comes down to. And that's what God really wants for all of our lives. And once we get to that place and we open up and we confess, that burden just gets released. We're no longer focusing on life through these eyes of our past, through our mistakes, our sins, our habits, all of these addictions, whatever it may be. We're able to see what God has called us to because there's nothing holding us back anymore. But it never happens until you really know God and you make that confession. And once you make that confession, it moves you in to that third thing that we've been talking about. Once you find freedom, it's to discover your purpose. You know, there was a recent study done in America that said 87% of the body of Christ doesn't know what function they play. Can you imagine right now what 87% of your body would look like if it didn't know what role it played? Like your leg didn't know it was a leg, your arm didn't know it was an arm, eyelid didn't know it was an eyelid. It would be a very frightening and disturbing sight for most of us when we think about it. But God wants us to know that you've been created for a purpose. Before even the beginning of time, he has equipped you, he has enabled you with skills, with talents, with giftings that are unique to you. That he wants you to use to make a difference in the world around you. That's your purpose, to make a difference in the world around us. That's what he's calling us to. And knowing this purpose is so fundamental and foundational for our faith. In fact, Paul even writes about this. Look at this. He says this about his purpose. I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I finish the race, the call that God has for my life. Do you hear that? He says, I want you to know this, that my life is nothing unless I finish this race, which God has called me to. And I want that same thing for you, that you would recognize that you've been created for more, that this whole routine nine to five thing isn't supposed to be all that life has to offer. You were created for a purpose, to go and do something great with it. And we need to stop chasing after these vain things like money and fame and status and, and resources and marriages and whatever we think that we're finding joy and purpose in. No, he says, I want you to look beyond that to race after the things which I have called you to. 
chase after the things which I have called you to, because when you start to do that, that's when you truly are unleashed to make a difference, which is the fourth thing. God wants you to make a difference, but it will never happen if you're chasing after the wrong things in life. It makes me think of a dog race. If you think about the Greyhound track with dog races, now I've never been to a dog race myself, but I've read stories and I watched some videos about it. And basically the idea is that they race dogs. They put them on a track, let them run around and whoever wins, wins. Kind of like horse racing, but the difference is you can't put a jockey on the back of a dog. That would just look weird and probably end up horrible for everyone. So what they do is they take this little fuzzy rabbit and they put this rabbit on this inner track and then they shoot it around the track and the dogs see it, get so excited that they just go after it. They start chasing it. Well, there's this story I read one time about a dog race where the rabbit went off, it was going full speed, the gates opened, the dogs were chasing after it, but just around the first corner, the rabbit malfunctioned and it exploded. And fur and wires went everywhere and the dogs didn't know what to do. The dogs that were running, they did one of three things. Some of the dogs just stopped dead in their tracks, confused, lay down, and eventually took a nap because they were bored. There was nothing else left for them to chase. Some of the dogs, when they saw the explosion, stopped, stared at it, and then looked, saw people in the audience, and then turned and started barking at people in the audience. Other dogs were so drilled with the idea, the relentless idea of never stop, always go, you're going to win, that when the rabbit stopped, they didn't. And so they altered their course and they ran straight into the wall and ended up breaking ribs and parts of their body, bones in their body. And I think that this is a very interesting picture of humanity that we can see. Because when we choose to chase after the wrong things in our lives, one of three things is gonna happen. You're either gonna nap and miss out on what God has called you to. You're gonna start barking at other people because you're seeing other people living out their life and you're seeing the purpose that they've got and you're upset, you're angry. And so you start lashing out at them or you're gonna hurt yourself because you're chasing after the wrong things. That's why it's so important that we set our eyes, we focus our heart, the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, that we could see God, that we could know God and the hope in which he has called us to so we can go forward and chase after the things that he has made for us. You see, you weren't created just to celebrate and acknowledge other people who are succeeding in life. No, every person you meet Every situation, every circumstance, everything is an opportunity for you to make a difference in someone's life because that's what God has called you to do, to make a difference. As I close this morning, I wanna end with a passage from John chapter 15. And it says this, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. He's saying, look, you haven't even discovered real joy until you start going after the things that I want you to go after. You start living the purpose in which I've called you to and making a difference in the world around you, experiencing the fruit of your labor. And this morning, I'm gonna give you some practical ways that you can really grab a hold of and experience this low-hanging fruit because maybe today you're thinking, what is my next step? Yeah, I know God. Well, I know my next step then would be to focus in and I need to confess that. That's great. I'm gonna start working on that. But then what comes after that? How do I know the hope to which I've been called? How do I know what it really looks like to make a difference in my life? Well, let me tell you, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that, even right here at Canyon Hills Fringe Church. First, we're most likely going to be starting, we are going to be starting our children's ministry next week. We're kicking it back up, reimagined, and it's going to be a great time. But we need help. We need people who are willing to be teachers, volunteers to be in classrooms, snack feeders, people who are out of the, the table checking in and welcoming families. What a great opportunity for you to, 
to pour into children, to meet families and people with kids and really expand all of our knowledge, all of the people who come to this church and grow the body of Christ. It's a great way to get started because we need help. Or maybe if kids aren't your thing, thinking maybe, well, I want to go a little bit older. High school ministry, junior high, we're always looking for additional leaders, mentors, people who can come and help in small groups and help really mold and shape and encourage the future of tomorrow, our children of tomorrow. Because that's when people's faith grows the most in their junior high and their high school year. That's where we see real transformation starting to take place. And if you're like, maybe I don't want to be that kind of small group leader. Well, Alex looking for enforcers, people who are just willing to be there and say no to children, <laughs> to kids, right? We all love saying that, right? But we feel bad doing it to our own kids. So why not come do it to other people's kids? It's great. Uh, if that's not you, maybe then you're saying, you know, I just don't like kids of any age. I'd rather work with adults. Become a life group facilitator. Open up your home to have a life group because think about how your life has been changed through your experience of a life group how much being in that community and that fellowship has impacted your faith. What a better way to take it now to multiply the efforts and to become a disciple, to do that for other people. Become a life group facilitator or host. Or if you're like, you know what? I don't like people. <laughs> you know, I don't like dealing with people. Well, then there's different ways that you can do. Not that this is any way related, but you can come up here and be on the worship team. You know, you can get up here and you can sing or you can play an instrument and lead people in worship. Because let me tell you this, that I found out in my life, when you worship, it doesn't just matter to God, it matters to other people. It's an example for other people, a way that people can connect. And real quick, before I go any further, I just want to give a shout out and an acknowledgement to our worship team. Because our worship team has stayed faithful all the way through COVID. Even when things were stopping and shutting down and all things were up in the air, our worship team's heart and their desire every single week was to come and to still present this atmosphere, to come and still bring worship to this place. So I just want to acknowledge them real quick and thank them. But maybe that's an opportunity for you too to say, man, I really appreciated what the worship team did. And I want to be a part of that. Come up here, talk to Kim, get on stage and be a part of the worship team. Or if you're like, I don't like being in front of people, there's great opportunities for you to work behind the scenes. Learn the soundboard, learn the lighting board, learn the slides, be part of our live stream. Help us take the message of God, what we're doing at Canyon Hills, beyond these walls, beyond our pavilion, out to the world through our live stream. There's so many different ways that you can get connected, that you can really take that next step and plug in and begin to make a difference. The question is, what are you waiting for? Are you gonna go another week without knowing God? Are you gonna go another week without knowing the hope to which you've been called? Are you gonna go another week hanging on to your past and your hurt instead of experiencing freedom? Or are you gonna go another week without really finding the difference that God has called you to? Know God, find freedom. Know your purpose, discover your purpose, make a difference. See folks, the point of the matter here is this. It's time to get up. It's time to move. It's time to take that next step. It's time to make it happen. What are you waiting for? Because I don't know about you, but I want to be in the room where it happens when God starts to make amazing things a reality. When he starts to use the body of Canyon Hills to make a difference in our community and in the world. Question is, are you willing to take that next step? Would you pray with me? Father, we are just, God, we are so encouraged by you. Father, by all that you have to offer. Father, that all that you give us. God, I pray that we would just take a real long 
hard look at our lives right now. Father, we would start to find where we are on this timeline, Father, what it is that you're calling us to know. Father, maybe if it's that first step of knowing you, I pray that you would just work in such a way that we could have a real authentic relationship with you. God, maybe it's to have our eyes of our hearts enlightened, Father, that we would find freedom from our past, from the things that are holding us back from blossoming. Father, maybe that we would know the hope of our calling, give purpose to our lives so that we can truly make a difference. Father, I pray that you just help us to think today as we go from this place, that analogy of Death Valley, that we would know that we weren't meant to be dead and dormant, Father, that we were meant to flourish. Father, we were meant to be something beautiful that you have created us to be. Or if that's not it, Father, that you would help us to see that maybe in us making the difference, we are the rain in somebody else's death valley. That we are helping to grow that seed of potential, Father, through you and all that we do. Father, I pray that you just encourage us, that you equip us, Father, that you help us today. We love you so much and we thank you for this opportunity.